listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome. Oh, you know we Welcome to another episode of the People Powered Planet Podcast, where each week we bring uh, we bring solutionaries to talk with you. Not about all the problems of the world. There's plenty of that. So overwhelming. We don't know what to do with it all. But how do we actually fix it? What are the what are the solutions that can help turn our world around? Uh, and today we have two very important solutionaries working with us, uh, and we're very glad they're they're here. They're both part of Al Jubitz's uh, family foundation. Uh, now, before I introduce Al, let me just briefly uh, introduce his uh, uh, his associate, Patrick Hiller. Now, Patrick Hiller. Uh, is a peace researcher, peace scientist. He's the executive director of the of the War Prevention Initiative, which is an initiative of uh, of the Aljubitz's Family Foundation. Uh, and uh, he's actually uh, there was a there's a remarkable book that World Beyond War put out, uh, an alternative security system. So many people are are focusing on you know why militarism is bad. Well, what's the alternative? And he's a co-author of that very important document doing that. So he works with World Beyond War. Uh, and he'll be assisting uh, Al. Al will be our, our, our primary guest, but we'll have both of them. They're both working with the, with the same goal. Meanwhile, let's, let me go ahead and introduce Al a little bit. Um, Al, you know, Al's, Al's just an incredible, quiet solutionary. It's just so good to watch him at Rotary meetings and so on, the way he makes quiet connections and brings people together. Uh, and he's been promoting world peace, environmental stewardship, uh, helping at-risk children. Uh, he's on the National Advisory Board of the Environmental Defense Council and the, and the Leadership Council of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. And he's been you know, a president of the Rotary Club of Portland and is very active in, in uh, Rotary peace building around the world. Um, and uh, one of the things that especially impressed me is he's also executive producer of a movie, one of the most remarkable movies, a movie called A Bold Peace, and we'll get into that a little later. So first, let me say uh, welcome, Al uh, and Patrick. Welcome to the People Powered Planet podcast. Uh, thank you, Arthur. It's a pleasure to be here and among so many friends I see on the screen. Um, it's uh, I want to reach out to each of you, but this is uh, Arthur's show, and I better be ready for a question or two, Arthur. But I'm happy to be here, and happy that Patrick's here with me. Uh, I'm so I'm so glad to see so many great people too. I see that uh, Marla uh, just joined us, who's got another remarkable film. Young people uh, just making such a key uh, key key way that young people can help make solutions to the environmental problems. Uh, Patrick, tell us briefly a little bit about your role in working with Al and how did you get started working with Al? Well, um, the one story I always tell people is when I just got my uh, conflict resolution and peace research degree, I happened to run into Al. We were introduced and that was a little over 10 years ago and Al approached me with that big vision like, oh, so you're the new guy here and you want to, and, and, you know, the peace researcher and analysis. So I want to end all war. What do you think we should do? And it was the perfect time for me to tell him, well, hire me and let's get started. So that's what we did. And we, we really started, you know, examining 
what what I have learned, we brought several people together in, in some gatherings, and out of that came our war prevention initiative, which is now a staffed program in Al's Family Foundation. We have a full-time team of four people there. We have um, uh, also a writing editor contractor. So out of one conversation, we are now in our program and it's called the War Prevention Initiative because one of my points was, well, most wars, <laughs> if not all, I mean, they, they will end at some point. So ending war is, is kind of maybe not the purpose, but preventing all wars. And the way we approached it was to recognize, sure, we have overwhelming challenges. We just were reminded of that with the um, 100 seconds to midnight by the uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, the doomsday clock. But we also have solutions now. In other words, um, which might sound arrogant to people who are not familiar with the entire landscape of peace building, we know what works and we know how to prevent wars, we know how to end wars, and we have viable, nonviolent um, alternatives to any form of political violence and war. Well, I think it's crucial that you mentioned uh, preventing war rather than just ending one after it started. And I think a primary example is, uh, is the film that Al is the executive producer of. Um, Al, in a bold piece, uh, in 1948, the same year that Gary was taking his activities at the UN and, and turning things around, uh, Costa Rica found itself surrounded by hostile military powers. Uh, what did they do? They rejected this strong arm from the north uh, saying, uh, we don't want to militarize your, your military, I mean, to weaponize your military. They said, no, we don't want to, we don't want to go in debt for for that kind of work. And so what happened was they invested instead in education and healthcare and energy independence. And the success story right there in the thick of Central America uh, uh, with all the hostility around them is that, that uh, they chose another path and uh, it's important that we tell people that story, hence the movie. Mm. Uh, but it takes uh, strong leadership to reject the same old approach to uh, to security. You know, it's a it's a they are more Costa Ricans are more secure, being educated and in good health and uh, with energy independence than they would be if they put all their resources into a strong military. So yeah, it's, it's a good example for the world. It's an it's interesting that. Uh, you know, when there was nobody to attack, no one, no one attacked them. And when they did have a military dispute, uh, they took it to the inter-American inter court, which had pretty, been pretty dormant. Nobody had been taking things there, but they got a ruling in their favor and everybody complied with it. They used world law instead of military power. And just the fact that they used it gave it power uh, to have an impact. Let's go to uh, at, at the roots of what brought you into this. So uh, how did you get started on your on your peace yeah. mission? A decade ago is when the War Prevention Initiative was founded. I uh, it was also the year that the uh, Rotary Action Group for Peace was founded, at the suggestion of Dennis Wong, who was on this call, my good friend from Connecticut, and uh, so both Patrick and Dennis have been very instrumental in my thinking. Uh, to go forward. I was uh, retired. I'd had a lot of uh, good life experiences. 
I had been a Rotarian at that time for 35 years. Uh, I had had an interest in peace for 40 years at that time. And I decided that, gee, uh, before I put myself out there, uh, reputation-wise, and you know, I, some people say I'm beating my head against the wall, you know, speaking about peace. But before I do that, I wanted to see which way the winds were blowing. And it didn't take long of a conversation with Patrick and Dennis to say the winds are blowing in the right direction. We, the science is with us. The practice is with us. The academic degrees are being conferred more and more from more and more universities. And there is a definite trend that peace education will be part of our future. And not only from an academic standpoint and from a career, career academic standpoint, but also from the lay society, people want peace. They just plain want peace. They, they want safety, security, and they, and they want uh, harmony. And so everything was heading in the right direction. So I said to myself, well, I have some knowledge <clears throat> of the trajectory of peace over the last, well, since World War II. And I've also had 35 years within Rotary. Maybe I could influence Rotary to pick up the, uh, the, the threat of peace and to make it more of their uh, mission. Now, <clears throat> it didn't take too long for me to discover that Rotary had had that mission for a very long time, a very long time, and a uh, hundred years almost, and, and yet was not really known as a peace group. Uh, since 2011 or 12, uh, Rotarians around the world have joined in uh, the uh, drumbeat of peace in their communities through what we call peace builder clubs. And the founder of that concept is also on this call, Mike Caruso, from uh, just outside of Portland here. A good friend, strong influencer. He decided to uh, lobby club members in our district of 75 clubs and see if he could des designate their club a Peace Builder Club. And now over half are Peace Builder Clubs, uh, meaning they have a Peace Builder Committee and they're doing projects locally, mostly. So I uh, look in the mirror sometimes and say, gee, I like other people's ideas a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll put some energy behind their ideas and uh, cheerlead uh, from the sidelines. And if I can be out in the lead once in a while, that's okay too. So <clears throat> I'm still very, very excited 10 years on that uh, peace is getting embedded within Rotary worldwide and, and uh, peace certainly in our consciousness as well and within the universities uh, worldwide as well. What are the major examples you see that Rotary is actually taking effective action for peace, uh, particularly in the area of their investments, but in other areas as well? Well, they are very seriously about looking about uh, divesting from all the bad things of life, including fossil fuels, uh, at their you know in their investment committee. Uh, so they're a little late, in my opinion, on that, but they're getting there. Thanks to Richard Denton and his, his team on nuclear, uh, also on this call. The, um, 
one of the surprises was when I heard the news in 2002, so that's uh, what, 20 years ago, that Rotary was going to invest in peace education, a special category of what they then called ambassadorial scholars would become peace scholars. And they felt there was a need for peace practitioners and educated people that would go out and build peace uh, so much that they took a subset of what they were doing with scholarships and called them peace, World Peace Fellows. And at the time, there were like 40 universities to partner with. They chose seven that had established programs and conferred degrees. And uh, a decade later, there are over 400 universities to choose from. So uh, Rotary was an early adopter in that whole idea. Uh, they have educated now well over 1,500 uh, young people in either the master's degree program or a, a shorter certificate program. Now, the founder of Rotary, Paul Harris, said back in 1940, uh, he said, must the best genius of men be devoted to the science of war and none to the science of averting it? That was, that was the founder. Tell us about the science of averting war. Well, I'd like to uh, defer that to our expert, uh, Dr. Hiller. And uh, I, I consider uh, peer-reviewed research uh, and the practice that follows it as peace science. And uh, Patrick's the, the uh, publisher of the Peace Science Digest which I will hold up the latest copy just came out yesterday. Um, so Patrick, why don't you uh, answer that question? Yeah, well, um, I think Paul Harris is right. Uh, let's note the gendered component of his comment at the time. So I would add, you know, the minds of all humans, not, not just right. men here. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, so as I'd mentioned earlier, um, I am a peace researcher and um, I'm out there kind of, you know, pounding the beat to give peace science a chance. That's how I call it, give peace science a chance. And uh, what I mean by that is we have a quite mature field that is um, examining the causes of war and the conditions for peace, very broadly speaking, that is peace research. And it is a normative discipline, so we're not neutral in there. So we, what we are work, our science is used in the pursuit of peace and justice also, very important addition there, not some form of uh, peace through strength and power over. And, um, one of the things I noted when, you know, when I'm in my academic field, I read a lot of those peer reviewed journals that Al mentioned, and there's some really great stuff in there. Uh, you know, nations are 100 times more likely to go to war when there's oil, things like that, or 1000 times more likely, I think. And then I look, I can see when I go into this library databases, oh my God, eight people read that article. That is amazing. And the re so there is really good research in our field, but it's not very accessible to the rest of the world because researchers tend to focus on how do I get it published in a journal. So that's why more than six years ago now with Al's support, we started the Peace Science Digest, which really tried to capture some of the essential research that comes out of our field and make it accessible, so getting it outside of those paywalls of databases, making it understandable 
So not in that academies language there and therefore making it useful for practitioners. So that can be everyday citizens, but also very specifically our peacebuilding community. Right now, as we're speaking, there is a conference of the Alliance for Peacebuilding. So there are over 100 professional organizations that are active in the peacebuilding domain with staffed people who are experts in their field. So we try to help there. We also try to support other funders like ourselves. So we're uh, members of the Peace and Security Funders Group. There are over 70 foundations members that fund on peace and security issues. So we're excited to be able to you know, help inform some of the conversations there by bringing in our peace research insights. And as Al mentioned, there are hundreds of universities that issue degrees, uh, undergraduate, master's, and doctorate degrees in, in, broadly speaking, peace and conflict studies. And all that matters because then we know in those different areas of building peace, we're not stepping into some vacuum. It's not naive, can't we all get along? You know, that wishful thinking piece, but solid peace that is grounded in practice and evidence. So that's you know, where we come from in our approach. The latest edition of your uh, Peace Science Digest, Patrick, it's on uh, countering hate and violent extremism. <clears throat> Make no doubt that this country called the uh, United States is, is in the midst of a, uh, a battle of the, uh, the extremists and uh, the police reaction to the extremists and the citizens that really don't know what to do. So I was reading this document last night and uh, through education and research uh, became much more hopeful that there are uh, so practical solutions that are nonviolent solutions. And I think that's what we as individuals <clears throat> have to commit to. And I did decades ago to nonviolence. Like, I'm not going to bear arms against anyone, uh, period. So, <laughs> what does the science show about how effective nonviolence has been in bringing down dictatorial regimes and, in, uh, and, and, and actually making a difference compared to war? Well, the work of Eric, Erica Chenoweth, uh, also circa, when did she publish, Patrick? Book was uh, published in 2011, Why Civil Resistance Works. Why Civil Resistance mm -hmm. Works. I, uh, when I was doing a lot of talks to Rotary Clubs a decade ago, <clears throat> I had a uh, graph of her conclusions, which was, as the decades go by, uh, nonviolent civil resistance is six times more effective at removing a dictator than violent. Mm. And so wow. it's very effective. When people don't cooperate, uh, who do you go after, your own citizens? Uh, whereas if they do an armed insurrection like in Syria, you know, they just tamp it down and doesn't go anywhere. So, uh, so the research uh, says that nonviolent approaches are far more effective. It's interesting how the mythology of a society overrides the reality and that you know, we always like to think of, of, of war being the power and the victory. And uh, that's what all the movies and, and uh, they, the culture project. And yet in reality, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's interesting that Gene Sharp, who is the prim, prim, prime researcher on this, actually has a book about how the American Revolution 
was actually a nonviolent revolution that was actually won before the first shot was fired. And then hotheads went ahead and had the war anyway. But the war, yeah. the war wasn't what, what brought us independence. It was refusing, the colonies refusing to cooperate with and accept uh, British rule. And you know, Canada went independent without a war. Uh, so, well, what do you think? Of, what, what do you think? Well, of I, I think I think you're right on target. I just happen to have Gene Sharp's uh, publication here. I can't show you totally, but the headline is 100, 198 methods of nonviolent action. This gives me hope. This document, <laughs> and there are all kinds of civil disobedience, nonviolent uh, that can and have worked, and and in, in, in many many situations, and uh, so. Once again, it's educating people that that uh, you know there are other ways of getting the job done, and right. we must commit to nonviolence. Right. Everybody right. agrees that violence is harmful to the psyche, if not the other person. There's also a misperception, broadly speaking, about what nonviolence is, namely that it's just going out on the streets and protesting, which certainly is often a major component in a bigger campaign. But, you know, when you look at those 198 methods, and there are several more now, especially in our digital age, I think it just proves how, uh, how much more accessible nonviolent action is to everyone in a society. And that makes it then more likely to be successful because you don't have to be, you know, what traditionally the traditional image of, you know, soldiers or armed insurrections are you know, able-bodied males at a certain age range. Nonviolent is for everybody. And I mean, some of the best work on that continuously comes out of the International Center on Nonviolent Action. Um, and I see on, on the list, Steve Chase, who, who has worked with them and is, is an expert on that. So I'm glad to see some nonviolent action experts here with us too. And isn't the rule of law rather than uh, the rule of force actually uh, the, the primary nonviolent alternative in that uh, wherever we see societies that are have peacefully functional legal systems, we, we don't have to have uh, the battles and wars. That's right. One of the key things is that in the world, how do you, what do you see as the role of what Gary Davis was talking about, creating world law uh, above the nations that divide us as a way of creating uh, an even more powerful nonviolent way than just protesting the wars that exist or the regimes that are bad. How about a way that we, the people, can come together and create a, a better way to govern our world? I think the future will show the power of the people even more than it has in the past. Uh, governments are struggling uh, to, uh, I guess, lead. One of the interesting things going on in your state Arthur, this this brouhaha about the is it the uh, California uh, energy people, the, the public utilities that want to curtail the excitement over rooftop solar, and so they're trying to tamp down the incentives. And there is same things going on in Florida, and I don't care what the state does the the people will figure out a way around it and keep building solar out because we get it we know that we're in a world of hurt the climate and we've got to do whatever we can whether the regulators are helping or not so i uh so while i think california uh, leads the country if not the world on 
on many things, it seems to be a little bit regressive when the Public Utility Commission comes out and wants to uh, decrease incentives for solar rooftop solar. So it's it's the power of the people. Then the people can organize and uh, so much faster with social media, and they they will they will get what the good stuff in life is. My opinion. Now, I'm an optimist. You know, I'm a pr pretty optimistic. The people are good. The people will work with others to do good, uh, and it's just a matter of uh, believing in yourself and believing in the goodness that I think will will uh, tilt the balance away from hostile actions or over-amped police departments, over you know over-militarized police like we have in Portland. Uh, Costa Rica is a good example. Uh, what about borders? I mean, you really think you can keep people from migrating? You know, they've had for for eons, and uh, even though it causes a lot of angst, uh, people will go where their families are or where they perceive opportunity. I mean, it's just the power of the people. So, the people powered planet. I, I think that's the future. And when you when you look at my generation versus the young people. Uh, the the I don't know Gen Z or whatever they call themselves. It, it's a whole different ballgame. They want this and they will work for it. And they don't want people or practices or the old ways to stand in their way of doing good. We have to make sure we do everything to remove those barriers. Yeah, I think you're so right. Those uh, borders have become such an anachronism in an age where we're where here we are with people all over the world connecting every day. So. Um, well, with that, let me turn it over to some of the fabulous people who are connecting with us here. We have some uh, great folks with us today that I'd love to have you chat with Al. So let me turn it over to Melanie, who will handle the question period. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur and Al and Patrick. So positive and so energizing. Thank you for all this, all, all the great work you're both doing. I mean, we have lots of questions, so we'll go to Q&A right away. First we have up is Dennis. Dennis, go right ahead. You know, one I of love things, this, man. Just let me cue you up a little, Dennis. <laughs> no, you don't have to. No, uh, please don't. <laughs> you know I'm a we big got, fan. <laughs> we only got so much time, but uh, I love you. And uh, But you know, it's interesting. It, and also it takes on what Ann Krish has mentioned about the Ukraine and everything else. And one of the things that uh, sort of I've been thinking about and, and following is what China is doing. And I think a lot of the things that I read is very Western oriented. And I just wondered if it's uh, also what China is looking at the, as far as the global system, you know, and how it might affect uh, our thinking moving forward, because we do have different ways of looking at things. and. Uh, and one of the things also, as I mentioned, you know, we Westerners look at it as individual rights, our individual freedom to do whatever we choose, as opposed to the common good or collective action. And uh, so I'm interested how, to Patrick, how it might affect our peace going forward. And also we as Rotarians, you know, look at it as far as uh, we have a thing that says we're going to do things which is beneficial to all concern. And I know people within Rotary struggle with that. And uh, so I just thought that might have an outlook as far as China, uh, 
their whole thing about common prosperity and how it might affect peace in the future. Thank you. Two quick points. One is if we look at different, you know, global uh, contextual so-called crisis or you know geopolitics i think we need to bring a historical analysis to everything a lot of what we read on the daily news is very ahistorical and then we quite frankly something that sounds obvious but it's not we need to bring empathy to international relations we need to put ourselves in the shoes of others and really try to understand how others view the same situation what is their truth because if we look at you know, how we examine conflicts, parties to a conflict both will argue from their respective truth. So if we try to take a step back there, we need to understand those different truths and not say, well, there's only one to it. And that's referring to social conflict, not to you know, the you know, gravity. That's physics, that's not truth. Climate change is real. That's not, I believe in it or not. Yeah. And I I kind of use the analogy that we all were in high school at one time and there's probably a bully or two and if they were standing on the street corner uh on your way home you might just cross the street you avoid the bully well the u.s has uh, close to 900 military installations around the world how many does china have uh i remember that poster of iran who would put a country, who would, the uh, headline was, who would put a country surrounded by 45 U.S. military installations? Who would have put a country there? You know, I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing. But until we Americans uh, define ourselves as morally uh, powerful instead of just physically the bully, um, I, I think it's going to be a long slog. Uh, there is moral, a thing, a term we use in, in the war prevention initiative is moral imagination. If we spent 10% of our time and treasure morally imagining better relations with our neighbors, uh, wouldn't it be interesting to see how much more love there would be toward Americans worldwide? So. Um, we are dependent on this myth that might makes right, when in fact, might really creates resentments. Excellent, excellent point, uh, Al. Um, yes, we've got to get away from that myth. And then Patrick, seeing both sides, thank you for that. So now let's go to Catherine. Catherine, could you please uh, unmute? Hi, Melanie. Thanks for that. Um, it's great to be part of this gathering. Uh, I've been on some of other Arthur's um, programs, which have been great. And I've had a chance to meet Alan Patrick in other spaces um, and doing the work of nonviolent resistance and peace building that we all are working on. Um, I actually am a Rotary Peace Fellow from Tula Longhorn. So I've been someone that has really benefited from the program that Rotary has. And also I worked with International Center on Nonviolent Conflict and Erica Chenoweth training over the years, um, which Al and Patrick have mentioned their important research work in the field. Um, and I worked with over the field program. So through that experience, I got to actually join and work with locally led movements of peace building with about 
uh, 50 different countries that I was able to travel to around the world, which was really an amazing learning experience. Um, and since being at the Rotary Peace Follow Program, we co-founded an organization, international network called Solidarity 2020 and Beyond, which is actually helping convene, support, and have peer-to-peer -peer learning and exchange and knowledge um, with these amazing activists, organizers, peace builders around the world, working in a number of different areas. And we have connected with many Rotary clubs. Um, we're starting to connect more with Rotary actors. We just had a, a call with some Rotary actor leaders in Kenya, um, and we have been able to work with some peace builder clubs. Um, also, the Portland one with Daniil Banks and others that uh, was mentioned, and uh, and so that's been very supportive and a great partnership. And so I guess, you know, my question comes down to as we move forward, there is so much need out there from our um, organizer and peace builder members. For instance, we also had a call this morning with a, another Kenyan group that's working mm -hmm. on an important plan to stop violence and to prevent violence with the upcoming elections in Kenya. Um, we know that every cycle there are up to more than a thousand people killed during the elections with ethnic, ethnic violence and, and um, other kinds of, of election violence, and they're trying to put a plan together across the whole country to mitigate that violence, to train people to observe, to bring in legal people, and are hoping to work with the rotor actors and work with us as part of that connection. So I guess my question is, you know, to Alan Patrick and having kind of that background um, and other members, um, what would be your um, advice about the best spaces to be in, um, how we reach these um, interesting peace builder committees. I've already connected with one in Boulder now, which is great, uh, with Cinda on this uh, meeting. And, um, and how do we work as partners more effectively to get that support to the field, to fund those peace builder initiatives, and not only to fund, but to have volunteers and more knowledge um, and spreading information. I see Mark on here as well, who's been a really important mentor to us and support as we're moving forward to try to get a global grant as well to do some important peace building training in the field. So let me just put that out there and I'd love to hear from, from people that are on, on this call. Do what you do naturally, and that is convene with others, show support, uh, attend meetings, have regular meetings. An example would be that uh, when George Floyd was killed in, in uh, Ann Frisch's state, sorry, Ann, good to see you on the call. <laughs> it, it set a shockwave around the world. And I put in a uh, Rotary Club meeting chat, anyone interested in racial justice, uh, discussing racial justice, uh, let me know. And four people responded. We decided to meet on Saturday morning for an hour and a half and see what we were thinking. And that, long story short, that has that has continued every week since then. So it's almost uh, what's 18, 19 months, <clears throat> and also blossomed into uh, Seattle. And what we've had is speakers on racial justice issues, systemic racism, if you will as well as uh, police uh, tactics, training, uh, approaches, uh, accountability, et cetera, all, all the above topics from politicians and non-politicians, and it has a life of its own. And what is most satisfying is that it has spawned some real action uh, in the community to try to fix Portland. Uh, a lot of Portland, as you know, Portland has been in the news and uh, we're very 
troubled by uh, what was a pristine city is now uh, has a lot of work to do. But the, the point is that Rotarians are in the center of these conversations, not necessarily with solutions, uh, but with compassion and asking questions and bringing people together. And what's one of the most satisfying thing is out of this group uh, came the Seattle group. And so now we're talking about a Northwest peace initiative to cover uh, political violence, which is uh, extremist violence that tends to travel north and south on I-5, uh, upsetting all of our lives. <laughs> and uh, so we are, we are, we Rotarians are are convening people, and I think that's one of the most powerful things we can do. In fact, it's about the only thing that people have ever done to change things is to do it with others. Exactly. Yes. So powerful. People power. Okay. We've got lots of questions. Let's go to Richard. Richard, go right ahead. Thank you very much, Melanie and Arthur, for having Al and Patrick here today. It's really great to see you, uh, Al and Patrick. A uh, couple of uh, three quick questions. Um, one, I'm putting in a submission for a breakout group at the Rotary uh, Peace Convention. Uh, the day before the International Convention in Houston. And I'm wondering if I can uh, put you down as a speaker on divestment. Al. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just tell my own story on that. I was early adopter on divesting and uh, exactly. pitched Rotary a decade ago. <laughs> Finally, Richard, through your tenacity and goodwill and perhaps a more likely good approach. <laughs> I'd be happy to, I plan to go. Uh, those of you that have uh, the old fashioned stock pickers, pick your stocks, uh, you need to do one of two things. Uh, read your statements really carefully and understand what you own. Uh, or secondly, uh, let the computers pick them based on good databases that uh, will weed out the bad companies or the companies involved in bad stuff uh, depending upon your definition and uh, versus the companies that you support. Yes, and you can look up Don't Bank on the Bomb and that'll help you out. Don't Bank um, on the Bomb, very good. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, good. I just saw Anne. Anne, you're next. Anne, go right ahead. Oh, my friend Anne. Gosh, good to see you. Thank you. Uh, we we have a, a impending uh, last world war coming up in the next 48 hours. Um, I have called all my representatives to say, please exert your leadership uh, to cool it. Give us another day to think about this. What is your playbook, Patrick and Al? We, what would you bring to the table? There is actually a meeting in 15 minutes of policymakers and activists, but who would you bring to the table to create uh, from your knowledge of um, peace systems and whatever else you know. Um, if you have to write the playbook in the next three hours, what what would speak it to us? Well, uh, I mean, uh, my own view is uh, as long as you're talking, you're not fighting and keep talking and plan the next, next talk. Patrick uh, grew up in uh, Germany and uh, married a Mexican. So his uh, son, Ollie, speaks three languages at age eight. <laughs> a lucky guy. And uh, but Patrick, uh, Germany is seen as uh, one of the uh, 
big losers, I guess, in a conflict there. I, I don't know. What do you? How do you read it? Well, uh, let, let me leave Germany out of the equation just for the moment now. Yeah. I think obviously, you know, priority number one is de-escalation. Anything that can be done to de-escalate. Um, and there are there are many ideas that circulate in our peace advocacy groups. So very specifically, you know, the way our program would look at that. Now, we, we are very much engaged in what is called structural prevention efforts, like changing the underlying conditions that get us there. Now we need the what are called operational preventions, like what needs to happen right now to, to prevent a war, and you're right, possibly the last <laughs> war. Because once you hear uh, uh, you know, rhetoric like all options are on the table, we have to be very clear what that means. That means nuclear weapons are on the table. And that is an absolute place where we cannot go. So I think the big picture you know, shift needs to go toward common security. Um, and that means you know, no one is safe until all are safe. So our security depends on Russia's security and vice versa. And, um, you know, very concretely, I think advocacy groups here need to make a, a strong push for, you know, it sounds bold, but it's very simple. Uh, the Biden administration needs to say NATO is not going to expand any further. NATO is not going to go into Ukraine. That is what is absolutely needed right now. And that can be done through, let's say, a moratorium on NATO expansion for the next 15 years. Or, you know, this is, again, where politics come into place more. But we need to be bold here. And we, our group and our foundation and other organizations rely on some of our key partners on the Hill. So there is an organization, Win Without War. They're excellent. They have access to some of the to many of the, the legislators there, they speak the right language. So our role here is really to support those, work with the organizations that have built their standing on the Hill, because ultimately right now, at this stage of this conflict, it's a little bit outside of our hands to have direct impact. This really depends on what some of the legislators say, how much you know space Biden gets. So I think what you're doing, Anne, is right. You know putting in the calls. Um, we maybe need some, uh, you know, good uh, authoritative voices, you know, the messenger matters. Sometimes we who are known to be the peace advocates are not the best people to bring messages about, you know, the dangers of a nuclear war. Maybe that is a former Secretary of State. There are options there, but I think, again, to get back, the big framework is common security. Another component that I mentioned is like empathy. We need to understand the other side and also bring a historical analysis to that. Because once we get there, we understand, well, you know, this is not that to sympathize with, with Putin, but who is the aggressor here? Who has been the aggressor over time? Which agreements were broken regarding NATO and NATO expansion? So that needs to be part of our whole response, but you know, it's it's scary right now, and it's a little bit you know frustrating to think that there's not that much we can do because, quite frankly, I don't see right now the opportunity for mass mobilizing. Um, I think it's going to happen anyway. Um, 
I'm hearing talks about go to your federal building. People are talking Thursday, but I don't know what the plan is, if anybody has a plan. Um, the person I would bring in is Mel Duncan, who is going to be on the phone in two hours. You need people who know how to defuse things because uh, you let's say let's say we were lucky enough to have 48 hours. You could do a heck of a lot in terms of uh, uh, getting people to take a deep breath. No solutions. Period. Mm -hmm. Just take a deep breath. Give yourself 48 hours, 50 hours, 72 hours until the weekend. Uh, it, it, it's it's very uh, urgent that nonviolent people. Um, People, activists uh, are in the streets and on the phones. Uh, and are, are the federal building, are, are, are there going to be demonstrations at federal buildings around the country? Is that what you're saying? Go down and voice your support for non- This is what I'm hearing is uh -huh. go, go to your federal building, but uh, I don't know if you can just, uh, this is what people are thinking they can do yeah. because there are people saying we need to go to the border not just anyone, don't just walk in, you need a visa, they're gonna shoot you, you're gonna start what you hope to prevent. So people need to, everybody needs to cool it, but thinking about what is the best action we can make. And we have, we have partners all over the world. We have our rotary clubs. But when you talk about the people in Ukraine, you know, they're, they're all caught up in the partisanship. I'm, most of us Americans don't even know what the big picture is. It's not time to do that. I say we need to just use our best sources. And I'm saying, um, Christine An comes to mind. She has experience crossing the border into North Korea. They didn't just wake up one day and cross the border and say, we want in. They said they planned this for months and got permission, had a huge rally. But Nonviolent Peace Force is the organization that knows the big picture on diffusing. And if uh, I, I would certainly want Tiffany Eastholm and Mel Duncan at the table before you do anything like what they've been doing for the last 15 years. And you've been one of their supporters, Al and Patrick, and um, they're one of your 28 world peace systems. Mm. I'm, yeah, I'm it's, it's... somebody is gonna listen to them. Well, you're talking about things that are in Gene Sharp's work, the 120, 198 nonviolent actions people can take, and to focus on a couple of those, like, uh, wouldn't it be interesting if the Ukrainians themselves uh, st stood in a line across the, at the end of the bridge, <laughs> you know? See, I think you need a neutral party on both sides, as if to protect the soldiers from doing anything. Now, Nonviolent Peace Force is not in the business of protecting armed actors, but right. this might be an exception to the rule where you just go in and be there. But think about the borders involved. Like 100 people, what would it take? 1,000, 5,000 people, and then you got to have 5,000 plane fares. You don't want people coming from the US or Russia. Uh-uh, keep them out, keep the Ukrainians out, and go for, this would be my idea. Bring in some of the Africans, some of the Asians, um, I would even bring in Indians and Pakistanis because they have no skin in this game. Um, there are people who would just be a very neutral presence. Say, come on, let's cool it. We, we need give peace a chance. 48 hours, two weeks, 
Yeah, yeah I, I was interested in uh, President Z's uh, suggestion to Putin to don't do anything until the Olympics are over. That gives us some time to breathe and some time for the world to rejoice. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. The only way to do this is to be in the street with our message. Yeah. Wait till the well, thank you. Thank you for your activism. Yes, I want to thank you, Anne, for bringing us to this subject. I mean, we can't shy away from things like this. It happens. It's happened throughout history. We, we are in a domination culture right now. I'm learning about that with the chalice and the blade. Um, and so we would, you know, all your I suggestions. One more thing. Sure. We've got Chernobyl. It's a big dome full of nuclear waste. And our pilot's going to know what's that shiny thing down there? Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, let's take a day. Let's all take a deep breath right now. Let's, let's right now, about... just right now, deep breath because what Anne's saying is hyper scary and it's, it's not the first time things like this have happened. And, and we're, we, you know, of course, at any time we could all die from nuclear. So, you know, we still have to function. So let's all take a deep breath together and visualize. Let's take a deep breath. Melanie, I have to leave. Could you have David Fishman speak for a moment, please? Yeah. yeah. David, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Your, your observations about uh, uh, preventive uh, structural versus operational or critical, uh, we have a little time according to the experts in the field, people like Anatole Levin and the full range of think tank people, there's not going to be anything military until after the uh, Winter Olympics, if there's going to be any. And from the standpoint of what the Russians are saying, they're wondering, what's this all about? I mean, there's, it's not happening there. Your point about NATO is very well taken. I will be sending something out to you to distribute to others if you're interested, late, who are interested later today. There's an event tomorrow, uh, uh, Anatole Levin is moderating and anyone who's interested in attending, Thomas Graham and Fyodor Lukyanov will be speaking very much along the lines that I think you're talking about today in terms of different perceptions. Thank you, Barbara. Welcome. Yes, thank you, Barbara, for adding David. And we do have three more questions that we wanted to get to before the close. Um, let's just do really quick. We want to go to Andre. Andre, could you please unmute? Hello, namaste. <laughs> nice to see you, Patrick. Hello, how are you? Melanie? Uh, I've been very fortunate uh, to be connected to the former director general of UNESCO, uh, the, direct, the founder of the peace culture at the United Nations. And he took an interest in my plan, which is a plan of nonviolence. That's how we started the conversation. And uh, I call the plan a global movement of nonviolence for the children. And the reason is that the, the children are the means to unite everyone. So this is actually a plan to unite the world. And nonviolence is the answer. You talked about it. So I it's, it is the answer. So I've been, uh, when I first met with Federico Mayor, he said that he would connect me to the Secretary General. And so I presented my plan to the Secretary General's staff. And now I'm planning to go back to implement the strategy to begin the movement. So it can't, it's not going to start right away. And it might not be applicable to Ukraine and, and the uh, Russia right now. But even if, uh, even if it was, the point is 
that there's a follow-up to the every step that's already designed into it. And, and it's so it's multifaceted, but I've tried to simplify it so that it comes down to just a couple things. In the beginning, it's all outreach and promotion to get everybody, unite everybody for nonviolence. Because all the webinars I've been on in the past few days, they say the people in Russia don't want war, the people in Ukraine don't want war, people in US don't want war. So it's a time for a people movement. And so I'd love to speak with you about it. Uh, I don't wanna take up all the time right now, but one element about it is that it's not just a movement of, uh, for anti-war, which it is, it's an anti-war movement, but it's a movement of goodwill there's the ethical elements that Patrick, you were talking about, and the moral ins uh, inspiration that Al, you mentioned. So it all comes down to nonviolence. And the reason I call it a global movement of nonviolence is because Gandhi and King were famous for movements of nonviolence. So let's call it that so people know what we're doing. We're promoting now not just adhering to nonviolence, but make nonviolence the goal. No uh, violence. We don't yeah, want it. I totally agree. And that starts with me. You know, we all have to commit to that at some level. Patrick, what, uh, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversation about campaigns uh, for nonviolence or campaigns for, a, you know, something aspirational future. Uh, and Andre's spot on. It, it's like, we're nonviolent people and we're proud of it. Do you have anything, Patrick, that uh, you're aware of worldwide about these campaigns we talk about? It's, it's time to challenge militarism. It's I time mean, the, to you know, unite they, as, a, as world citizens. Well, there's no vacuum and no shortage of campaigns, but I think one key is to build ongoing networks and relationships there and not stay in our silos of what our respective campaign is. And I think what many of us are realizing now is also to have inclusive campaigns, because some are just really very, they seem to be inclusive by language, but they're not. And you see very few traditionally marginalized voices in those campaigns. And we need to just be much better in connecting campaigns through the issues. So that is when we talk about racial justice in the United States, we need to we need to connect the dots from racial justice here to a what is a racist US foreign policy. And we need to bring those movements and campaigns together and show up for each other on an ongoing basis. And you know, Catherine, Catherine's initiative, I think, is a good example there of really, you know, trying to see what is out there and bringing them together. But I mean, the one thing I would add is we need to be much better at inclusive networks and campaigns. Yeah, uh, we uh, bring women into your every opportunity to bring women. And when Patrick and I were invited onto this call, I called him up yesterday and said, gee, are we a panel or are we just being interviewed? Because I'm committed uh, as a gender champion. I will not appear on a, can a, a panel without gender balance. And, and so make sure women are included. We have Jennifer Jones coming in as a leader of Rotary International, hallelujah, you know, finally, a female leading the organization. And her mission, her theme is women and children. Let's get behind that, nonviolence for the sake of women and children. 
and and so uh, there's a real opportunity. I do think the stars are aligned for uh, a new uh, conversation. Al, if I may add yeah. in, you brought up the women. Uh, the one element that I didn't add in here, and it, it goes with being inclusive that Patrick just mentioned, that. Uh, the International Peace Bureau, big, their big meeting in November, they talked about how we need to have the uh, indigenous people, the youth, the labor movement, the movement of nonviolence includes them all. And in the plan that I've prepared, it's got the, uh, an awareness campaign that includes everybody so everyone can participate. And, and the, the twist that I've added in is that not just do it for the sake of women and children, Let's put the women in the front and say women lead the movement because yeah. they've already been uh, uniting around mm -hmm. the world in Jerusalem, the women, Arab and Jew together. Here in the United States, we had the Women's March on Washington mm -hmm. and uh, the, the uh, Christine on got all the women leaders together to go to Korea. And there's your template right there. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she got raise women's together. voices whenever you can. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you. Here's my voice. Thank you. And yes, thank you very much. yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just love this. This is great. Oh my goodness, very inspiring. And yes, the fact that you know we're all sitting here, we all have a say, we all can do something. Um, we we don't have to just uh, rely on other people. We all have things that we can do and we can resolve this issue. Okay, so we'll go to Mike. Mike, please unmute. Um, just a comment. There was a uh, a podcast I watched yesterday called Democracy Now, uh, which is usually a just a news information. But the last half of the program yesterday, it's a one hour show. The last half of the program was honoring the great peace activist who just passed away, Thich Nhat Hanh. And uh, talking about the situation uh, was uh, the Reverend John Deere, who was also a peace activist. And he served the Catholic Church for 15 years in New Mexico. And he mentioned that Archbishop John Wester, the Archbishop of San Jose, New Mexico, put out a pastoral letter earlier this month, about a week ago, called Living in the Light of Christ's Peace, a Conversation Toward Nuclear Disarmament. It's a 52-page document, an official document of the Catholic Church now. And he talks about how possession of nuclear weapons is... Uh, not only unethical, immoral, illegal, sinful, a total abomination. And he's just echoing the words of Pope Francis. And uh, uh, Father John Deere mentioned that it's been 1,700 years since the Catholic Church has taken this stance, that nonviolence is the way. And it's just a, a remarkable, remarkable show if you have a chance to see it, the second half of Democracy Now!, uh, on the very first page of the 52-page letter, it says, never again war, never again the clash of arms, never again so much suffering. May peace come in our time and to our world. And so this is, is not just a, a letter. It's an official you know, Catholic document. I'm sure the, the Catholic Conference, the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops won't like this too much. It's a very um, conservative organization. But, but this pretty much takes away the idea of uh, just war theory that the Catholic Church held for so, so very long. That horrible, horrible theory that there, there is a time and a reason for war. So I just wanted to 
share that with you. I, I'm really happy to hear that. Now we have to, those of us that are Rotarians have an opportunity to influence uh, Rotary International through the uh, Council on Legislation and other methods uh, to make a very clear statement as the International Red Cross has on nuclear weapons and beyond on war. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Um, we'll go back to Arthur. Arthur, take it away. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're also so glad that Al's been a part of, uh, of, of creating our film, The World is My Country, and getting it out on over 100 TV stations across the country. And now he's been sort of initiated and played a key role in the initiative now with our Rotary Rotarian producers picturing peace. And we're going to be, uh, we're having some regular meetings if anybody would like to be a part of that. Uh, we are working on actually now getting the program, The World is My Country, out on not just uh, the PDF stations across the country, but also Link TV going out to Direct Dish, Dish Network and Direct TV. Uh, so we'd love to have people uh, be in touch more about joining and getting sponsors for that. We have a committee working on bringing sponsors in for that. And we're working on a, a proposal that Martin Sheen proposed of having a uh, having a series on Gary's book, My, My Country is the World. Uh, so there's much more to see ahead. Next week is going to be our club social. We can talk about those and other issues. I hope all of you will join us and get to bring talk about some of your projects. I'm so glad that Anne brought up the immediate you know, immediate danger we're facing. I'm reminded of the movie, Don't Look Up. You know, we're all <laughs> involved in our own things and then we're, but we're facing the potential of doom. And as Patrick said, we are at that hundred seconds before midnight. So it's so crucial that we're building the alternatives. And I'm so grateful to Al. Uh, thank you, Al and, and Patrick. Uh, Patrick, how do people get to be on that, get that new science uh, your, your, your current issue? You can go to peacesciencedigest.org and sign up for free and you'll get our analysis and an occasional newsletter with other updates and press releases and engagement we have. What are some other ways that people can follow up and, and connect with you? Al at jubits.org. I'd like to just tip the hat to Cinda Arsenault who uh, is on this call, and I believe that she lost her home in those terrible wire wildfires. Is, is that right, Cinda? Um, as you may have read, the Marshall Fire, which is where I live. I live in the old town of Superior, and basically we lost the whole old town, all my neighbors, all my friends. Um, you know, we've had a very, very dry uh, winter up till now, and uh, Anyway, climate change, things we need to work on. Um, so it, it is definitely hard, but the community is definitely showing up. Good. Uh, hearts goes out to you, Cinda. Yes. yes. Thank you for All your work you. on gender. Uh, very important. Yes, yeah, Cinda has been so crucial on, on a number of top issues. So maybe sometime we should have I have her as a, a guest as well on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, everyone. And do join us next week uh, when we'll have our club social and we can all interact with each other and learn more about each other's projects. Maybe uh, Cindy can tell us more and maybe there's ways we can help if there's anything we can do to help with the uh, terrible devastation of these fires. But even as Patrick mentioned, more important than, uh, than, than uh, well, so important to stop these things but all, and to clean up the problems, but also to prevent them in the first place. So let's keep rolling on that. 
as we begin to build the world we choose, visualize, picture, and create. Our, our visions are what create our world. And so we all have to come together and envision and create the world we choose. So thank you, everyone, for joining us in another episode of the People Powered Planet podcast. See you next week, Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1, 1 p.m. Eastern. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.